0: ABC Listen. Podcasts, radio, news, music and
1: more.
2: G'day, welcome to The World Today. It's Monday the 8th of January. I'm Nick Grimm, coming to you from Gadigal land in Sydney. Today, should foreign nationals help swell the ranks of Australia's defence forces? The debate about pill testing reignites in Victoria after a tragedy at a Melbourne music festival and concern in Antarctica about the possible spread of a deadly strain of bird flu. But first, as Queensland continues its clean-up after severe weather, Victoria is now on flood alert following record rainfall. A weather system has smashed the central and central north part of the state and is gradually moving east, Emergency services have received hundreds of calls and crews are warning communities to brace for more flooding over the coming days. Kathleen Ferguson has our report.
3: Rainfall is becoming the sound of summer for parts of Australia's eastern states. Victoria is in the midst of an unfolding flood event after some areas received more rain in one day than they would usually see for an entire month. Mary Beadle's property in Heathcote in central Victoria has been transformed. It's like a river running down the back of our property. Our property is usually
1: a very dry property. Yeah, and we've now got a river. <laughs>
3: The Bendigo region has been hit particularly hard overnight, receiving more than 90 mils of rain. Mark Cattell is the Assistant Chief of the Victoria SES.
2: We've also got a lot of crews that are resting after a very busy night in the Bendigo area uh, around Bendigo and Gornong uh, where they had 26 rescues. Um, um, That has uh, impacted a number of homes down there requiring the rescue of a number of people. In
3: Bendigo the local council has set up an emergency relief centre in the regional city for people to Go to the council's acting CEO is Brian Westley.
1: Uh, as of about three a.m. this morning, we had Vic Poll uh, request that we activate our emergency relief centre, uh, which is what was done for about three weeks in and the 2022 flood. The
3: SES has received hundreds of calls for help across the state and it's expecting to get more as flood waters put pressure on already saturated systems. Here's Mark Cattell again.
2: We're preparing now for uh, the Campaspe River to get to Rochester. Uh, it's expected to get to Rochester in the next couple of days. Um, potentially getting up to major level, close to the 2010 level. And uh, we're also looking over at Shepparton, uh, which is looking at levels just uh, around the Uh, a metre below the 2022 level.
3: And while summer storms are expected and common in Queensland, record rains in Victoria have different consequences. Miriam Bradbury is a senior forecaster at the Bureau of Meteorology. How
0: bad rainfall feels, how much damage it can cause really depends on how it compares to the average. Queensland typically sees a lot of rainfall uh, through the summer period and Victoria typically sees a lot less rainfall. So when it comes down so fast and so heavy, it can certainly lead to some very, Significant impacts.
3: She says parts of New South Wales could also be affected by today's wet weather.
0: In addition to the storms, we have a broad area of heavy rainfall possible across northern and northeastern Victoria, spilling over into southeastern New South Wales as well. So that's the risk of heavy falls, even without the presence of thunderstorms. So certainly a very wet day on the way.
2: Senior Forecaster at the Bureau of Meteorology, Miriam Bradbury, ending that report by Kathleen Ferguson and Luke Dundon. Doctors are blaming the federal government for a dramatic collapse in the rate of GPs bulk billing their patients. A new survey indicates the problem is at its worst in Tasmania, with the data suggesting fewer than 1% of GP clinics there exclusively bulk bill their patients. But in the past year, numbers have fallen significantly across the nation and concerns are growing that difficulty in accessing primary health care is pushing more patients to turn to overburdened hospitals for an affordable option. Alexandra Humphreys reports.
4: A couple of years ago, Darlene's GP stopped bog-billing her family. For the Perth single mother, it had a big impact. It it
5: feels bad as a parent to have to tell your children, is this really, really bad? Because mummy can't afford it. Like, we can't afford to, to do this. It's just other decisions override. Uh, Health and it shouldn't be that way.
4: Her regular practice switched from a bulk billing one to a mixed billing practice. Darlene's family weren't accepted for bulk billing until recently when her sister made an appeal to the GP.
5: He finally relented and said, right, I will treat you and your boys on a bulk billing uh, case, but you can only see me because uh, I'm the principal. So, you know, all this rigmarole and for something
4: that ought to be Um, just there for, for us taxpayers to use. Online healthcare directory Clean Bill has released the results of a survey of GP clinics bulk billing rates. It's found the number of Western Australian clinics bulk billing all their patients has fallen significantly over the past year by 17%. South Australia saw a fall of nearly 14%. Clean Bill surveyed more than 6,000 clinics nationwide. It found only 24% bulk bill everyone they see. In Tasmania, that figure was below 1%. But Tasmanian president of the Australian Medical Association, John Saul, says that doesn't mean bulk billing isn't happening.
1: There's still bulk billing occurring in Tassie. Uh, a lot of our rural practices, because of the low uh, low incomes uh, and high healthcare card holders and high levels of chronic disease, they're, they're bulk billing large numbers, up to 80% in some areas. But bulk billing universally, that's a thing of the past for Tasmania.
4: Data from the Department of Health in the September quarter suggests nearly three quarters of standard GP consults were bulk billed in Australia. The federal government tripled the bulk billing incentive from November for people under 16, concession card holders and pensioners.
1: The benefit uh, if you bulk bill a healthcare card holder has gone up a fair bit with recent uh, government changes, but it's still a long way less than the AMA rates, so we still struggle to make ends meet.
4: The Clean Bill survey also found the average out-of-pocket cost being charged to Tasmanian patients is the highest in the nation at just over $51. It says the average cost nationally is about $41. Separate health department data places the out-of-pocket cost for a standard GP consultation at $39. Dr John Saul says the cost of providing primary health care is higher in Tasmania.
1: We just struggle for doctors. It's, it's hard to get doctors to stay in Tesey as much as it's a beautiful place. We, uh, we're now struggling with high, uh, high levels of accommodation costs.
4: Well, Tasmania that has a, an older population, a sicker population, to not have access um, to bulk billing at the same level as other states is a significant issue for our health system. Robbie Moore is the Tasmanian Secretary of the Health and Community Services Union. He says the lack of bulk billing access is putting pressure on other parts of the health system. Our emergency departments are already not making national benchmarks when it comes to you know, seeing patients on time. So to have more and more people presenting with low level illnesses simply because they can't um, access a doctor, uh, is burning our health system significantly. In a statement to The World Today, the Health Minister Mark Butler said it had never been harder to see a bulk-billing GP blaming the previous government. The Minister also pointed out there are now 58 Medicare urgent care clinics operating nationwide, offering walk-in healthcare that is fully bulk-billed.
2: Alexandra Humphreys. A suspected mass drug overdose at a Melbourne rave has reignited calls for pill testing and drug education. Nine people are in a critical condition in hospital after what was believed to be an overdose or reaction to an MDMA-like drug. Some of the festival goers had to be placed in an induced coma at the scene. Bridget Fitzgerald reports.
5: It's the time of year where people get out to lots of music festivals, but one event has ended in tragedy for a group of revelers.
1: One of the paramedics I spoke to said that she was managing one of the patient's airways and while touching the patient's face, they had a temperature of around 41 degrees and they described it like holding a heat pack.
5: Danny Hill is the secretary of the Victorian Ambulance Union. He says multiple ambulances were called to the Heart Mission Festival in Melbourne at the weekend after a large group of people became
1: unwell. There were many more treated on scene who had overdose and uh, different reactions uh, who didn't require transport, but eight that did. And of that, seven of them actually required what's called rapid sequence intubation, where uh, doctors and mica paramedics on scene had to place these patients into an induced coma and insert a breathing tube into their throat and actually take over the work of breathing for them. They were that unwell.
5: Danny Hill says it appears a number of people overdosed or had a bad reaction to an MDMA derivative drug.
1: It's a cocktail of medications that they take. They think they're taking something that's fairly safe or clean, but that's just categorically wrong.
5: Danny Hill says there's a need for better drug education among festival goers to reduce the risk of overdose. But there are also calls to go a step further.
6: If we are thinking about how much distress the families, all those involved in what has transpired over the weekend, we must be considering
3: proposals like pill testing.
5: Ave Pugliel is the acting leader of the Greens in Victoria and Green spokesperson for legal cannabis and harm reduction.
3: Unfortunately,
6: we know that during the summer festival season, we do see an uptick in people consuming recreational illicit substances like MDMA, as has been reported over the weekend, and coming into harm's way because they do not know necessarily what it is that they are taking. They're taking the word of the person that they have Receive the substance from, rather than, say, a conversation with a medical professional.
5: Currently, the ACT is the only jurisdiction in Australia to offer pill testing services. In 2023, the Queensland Government announced it would also allow pill testing for the first time through a fixed site and mobile services. The ACT's Can Test Health and Drug Checking Service was established in mid-2022 as a pilot program, but has
7: since been extended. People are less likely to have an overdose as a result of drug checking services and their risk taking behaviour generally reduces.
5: Stephanie Stevens is the Chief Operating Officer at Directions Health, which operates CanTest. An evaluation report led by a team of researchers from ANU found the CanTest service had an unexpectedly high level of demand and was able to provide new information about the Australian drug market. It recommended the service should continue.
7: So people were less likely to take a drug that they brought in for checking, particularly if it contained something else other than what they were expecting, which was quite commonly the case or they were a really different strength to what
5: that person was expecting. A Victorian Government spokesperson says there are no current plans to
2: trial pill testing. Bridget Fitzgerald reporting. <music> on ABC Radio across Australia, streaming online and on the ABC Listen app, this is The World Today. Thanks for joining us. As Australia struggles to recruit defence personnel, a new strategy is being devised to boost troop numbers by throwing open the ADF to foreign nationals. So will it boost our military or create divided loyalties? Matt Bamford takes a look. It's a staffing shortage with national security implications.
6: On Friday, Defence Personnel Minister Matt Keogh said the ADF's recruitment difficulties have reached a challenging new level. We are certainly looking at all options that uh, we need to look at in terms of how we can grow our defence force, and that includes looking at how we might be able to grow it from uh, friendly forces from other countries. He revealed the government is now searching beyond Australia's borders for people willing to serve. And looking at uh, opportunities for people to come to Australia uh, or who are already in Australia uh, from other countries to uh, join our defence force. It's a tricky problem that's come at a critical time, as the ADF tries to grow its numbers by 30% by 2040. The ADF has called on foreign nationals before, and it's been a long-standing practice in other countries. Think of France's foreign legion. Now the Australian government is turning its attention to other nations, including in the Pacific. Curtis Tui Halanini is the acting High Commissioner for Tonga. Uh,
2: So we're quite happy and welcome the uh, decision we see this is not only for training, upskilling and building capacity, but we see that there is trust and confidence in the Pacific family that we can be able to join and work together.
6: Beyond defence, he says the relationship would be particularly important during natural disasters.
2: By the time a natural disaster occur, they can just immediately go together where they're already used to working together because they've been drained and obscured and built capacity.
6: But some leaders have reservations. Serengal Whips Jr. is the president of Palau. The tiny island nation with a population of just 18,000 people has had a similar arrangement with the United States for almost 30 years. He spoke this morning on RN Breakfast.
2: It's been created opportunities, of course, for our children, but also it's, it's uh, created other issues. Uh, One of them, of course, is uh, a drain on our population. Uh, The other one is uh, when they do uh, finish their service, it's about them getting the services and the treatment and the benefits uh, once they return to Palau.
6: There's also concern about losing young, talented citizens.
2: That's uh, probably our biggest concern these days because uh, since uh, our uh, independence from the US, 40% of our population has moved out of Palau and uh, it continues. And, and a big part of that is the US military recruitment in Palau. Every year they're probably taking um, at least 10% of our graduates or more.
6: Dr Malcolm Davis is a senior analyst in defence strategy and capability at the Australian Strategic Policy Institute.
2: Look, I think it's a sensible solution. Uh, Obviously, it has to be done on a case-by-case basis. uh, And it shouldn't just be the Pacific Islands. It should also be the Five Eyes community as well. Dr Davis
6: says it's also an important strategic move at a time when China is competing for influence in the region.
2: Look, I think it reinforces the ties between Australia and the Pacific Island states, which is really vital, given that we are facing the challenge in that region from an assertive uh, uh, China that is seeking to expand its presence and influence in the region. So by strengthening security ties at a government-to-government level, but also through uh, an individual level, we're bringing people from those communities into the ADF. I think that's a very positive gain for us. uh, And it, it makes it more difficult for countries like China to try and create divides between Australia and those states. Dr Malcolm Davis from the Australian Strategic Policy Institute ending Matt Bamford's report. It's believed the discovery of a single dead bird on a rocky outcrop on a remote island on the Antarctic Peninsula might have confirmed the worst fears of researchers who've been anxiously awaiting the expected arrival there of a deadly strain of avian influenza. While the case has not been positively identified, over recent months the virus has been steadily heading south. The concern now is that its spread across Antarctica will be virtually impossible to halt. For more on this, I spoke to Michelle Villa. She's a senior research fellow at the Centre for Pathogen Genomics at the University of Melbourne.
7: If we look at what's happened in other parts of the world, we can appreciate how deadly this virus is. So in South America, this virus traveled the 6,000 kilometer spine of South America in about six months, leaving a trail of destruction behind. I mean, 40% of all the pelicans in Peru died in just a very short period of time. We've seen more than 30,000 South American um, sea lions have died. Um, A recent... Um, stories about southern elephant seals 70% of all the pups have died. It's just been really catastrophic. And if we can imagine that in Antarctica, it would be truly terrible because many of the species that live in Antarctica don't live anywhere else.
2: And obviously, as you've indicated, this isn't just affecting the bird life, it's other species as well.
7: For sure. So we're seeing a lot of cases in marine mammals, particularly sea lions and seals. And of course, this virus is zoonotic. So there have been a number of human cases around the world.
2: So what would be the implications of of this disease getting a foothold on the mainland in Antarctica?
7: Well, like I said before, many of the species in Antarctica aren't found anywhere else. And if you think about things like penguins, they congregate in these big groups to breed. And so if we have a virus that comes through and kills 70, 80% of all the birds in a colony, we could see really big effects on entire populations disappearing or even worse, entire species disappearing, or we could even see ecosystem-level effects. So imagine that all these animals in Antarctica disappear, um, you won't have inputs into the ocean, and it it could affect all kinds of things in the marine environment.
2: Can you just explain for me why the case that has been identified now is, is just a suspected case?
7: So... Um, The difficulty with Antarctica is that it's not like the rest of the world where there are just laboratories around. Um, There's also not a lot of veterinary staff in Antarctica that can go and respond to animal disease emergencies. Mostly what's down there are tourists and a few researchers and researchers working on a huge array of things. And so suspected cases are cases wherein we see animals either dying suspiciously or behaving a little bit strangely. But no samples are being collected or it takes a while for those samples to be processed. So in this case, um, this was a bird that was behaving really strangely. And so we think it might be even influenza, but we can't be 100% sure.
2: So what are your concerns that could be the implications of this disease continuing to spread?
7: Um, So this is an Australian venue. So, of course, um, this virus is also a risk for Australia. Um, Oceania, so Australia and New Zealand, are the only parts of the world that don't have this virus. It's been found literally everywhere else. And so we're doing quite a lot of work um, around the space in trying to prepare for it. Um, One of kind of our more recent concerns is that if it spreads through Antarctica, it could potentially enter Australia through the southern route. Um, But... For now, that's just speculation. And so the thing I would like um, to press is that if you're in Australia and you see sick or dead animals, it's really important that you notify the authorities. And you can do that through the Emergency Animal Disease Hotline. Um, You can just Google it. It's the first number that comes up and and you can use that phone number in in any state in Australia.
2: I was speaking there to Michelle Villa. She's a Senior Research Fellow at the Centre for Pathogen Genomics at the University of Melbourne. Let's go overseas and US Secretary of State Antony Blinken has met with Arab leaders asking for support in preventing the spread of conflict in the Middle East. It's been three months since the conflict began and increasingly discussions are turning towards how to rebuild the region once the fighting is over. It comes as an alleged Israeli airstrike killed two Palestinian journalists. Elizabeth Cramsey has this report. In the Gaza
0: Strip west of Khan Yunis, residents flock to what's left of a car. They remove the bodies of Mustafa Thuraya and Hamza al Dadu. The latter is the eldest son of Al Jazeera's bureau chief, Wail al Dadu, who lost his wife, two children, and a grandchild in an airstrike on October 26. News that affected an emotional apology from U.S. Secretary of State Antony Blinken during a press conference in Qatar.
1: I am deeply, deeply sorry
2: for the almost unimaginable loss suffered by uh, your colleague, Waladu. I'm a parent myself. I, I can't begin to... Imagine the horror that he's experienced not not once, but now now twice.
0: Health officials at NASA Hospital say airstrikes on houses in Khan Yunus killed fifty people on Sunday. The civilian death toll, according to Gazan officials, has risen to more than twenty two thousand. Secretary Blinken first met with leaders in Istanbul and Crete before flying to Oman and later Qatar. It's the top US diplomat's fourth trip to the region since the conflict started, after Hamas gunmen launched their attack on southern Israel on October 7, in which 1,200 people were killed and 240 taken hostage.
1: We share a commitment to ensure that the conflict does not expand. Uh, And I think we also share a commitment to use the influence, the relationships, the ties that we have with parties in the region to try to avoid escalation and to deter new fronts opening.
0: Another key focus is on the reconstruction of Gaza and how Middle Eastern partners can play a part once the fighting is over. Secretary Blinken also says Israel needs to adjust its military operations to reduce civilian casualties. Speaking at a cabinet meeting on Sunday, Israeli Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu again said the fighting wouldn't end until Israel had achieved all of its objectives.
2: We are not stopping until victory. The war must not be stopped until we achieve all of its goals. The elimination of Hamas, the return of all of our hostages and ensuring that Gaza no longer poses a threat to Israel.
0: Almost a week has passed since a suspected Israeli airstrike in the Lebanese capital, Beirut. Hamas deputy leader Salal al-Aruri was killed in the strike and the world has been watching to see how Hezbollah might respond. On Sunday, the Israeli military confirmed that a base in the country's north had been hit by rocket fire from Lebanon. IDF spokesman Daniel Hagari was at pains to say that the damage was limited and said Israel had fired back.
2: There were no
6: casualties in this attack. Yesterday, we attacked significant Hezbollah military assets, which were used by Hezbollah's surface-to-air missile unit, and yesterday we eliminated seven terrorists.
0: Of the 240 Israeli hostages taken by Hamas in the October 7 attacks, almost half were released in November. The families of 100 hostages are calling on international mediators to double up efforts to secure their release, and met with senior Qatari officials involved in the negotiations. Rona Nutra is hoping for the release of his son Omar.
5: We call on Qataris, as well as other parties in the
2: region, to double up their efforts With ultimate urgency. That's Father Ronan Nutra ending that report by Elizabeth Cramsey and Jacqueline Breen. And that's all from the World Today team. I'm Nick Grimm. Thanks for your company.